Our guest today on the Enemies List is Jill Lawrence. Jill's been a writer for USA Today at Politico. She's been around the block. She's recently written some absolutely terrific pieces in The Bulwark. Knows politics like very few other people in this country. Really has a deep understanding of not only the mechanics of it, but a lot of the emotion and and the and the underlying currents that are driving our politics right now. And with the increasingly large Republican field, which I think almost every Republican will now be eligible to run for president because everyone seems to be getting in the field, we're going to have a very chaotic primary, and then we're going to have a very consequential general. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today on The Enemies List. I really appreciate your time today. And I just want to say, you've been to this rodeo. You've seen a lot of campaigns now. You've been around the block, as as I have. How do you rate this this the both this primary season we're in right now for the Republicans and the the the, the coming general election in terms of consequence and and impact and weirdness and newsworthiness and every and every other big metric? The short answer is off the charts. <laughs> um, it's I know we say that about every election, but I just cannot imagine an election with higher stakes, you know, more, more uh, consequential consequences than when you've got Donald Trump mm-hmm. under indictment, possibly in the middle of trials, uh, still leading, although we have no idea how that could possibly work out, uh, leading by a ton. And if you add up everyone else who's in the race, still not approaching right. him. And it's just really hard to know when this uh, spell is going to be broken. And, and the, the last thing I wrote, the most recent thing I wrote for the Bulwark was about the dangers of of trying to attack, trying to make excuses to some extent for Trump while you know, saying he might have done something wrong, but at the same time attacking the entire justice system in the United States and the FBI and, and everything else. And um, the... <laughs> I I just have to read you something that a a reader said about me. There is a frantic hopelessness about Jill D. Lawrence's commentary here of fury that Republicans still haven't closed a barn door left open many years ago while the horses run wild two states away. (laughs) And uh, maybe I am frantically hopeless, but if that's true, it's kind of been that way for eight years. So I, I guess, you know, to say we live in interesting times is an understatement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say that the fate of the republic may hang on this election, I'd say that's um, pretty pretty close that, to the mark. I, I would too. Uh, I would too, and it's it's wearing. Oh, Don't you uh, find uh, that absolutely, Joe? I mean, the, uh, look, and I I was the first like Republican guy to you know, consultant of any consequence, I guess, to come out in 2015. And I've been ta- thinking about it a lot lately. I'm, it's like eight years now I've been doing this, and it is 
it is like that same sense of desperation symptoms, like beating my head against the wall, like stop it. You're all mess. You're all doing this wrong. He's going to win again if you don't try something very, very different. But I mean, and, but it doesn't seem like the lesson's sinking in. <clears throat> in fact, it's almost like the opposite lesson in the primary field. Most of them, with the exception of, I guess, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchison are, you know, walking around on, on tiptoes, wearing kid gloves, handling him, pretending it's not pretending there's some way they're going to sneak past Trump. And it's like 2016 on, on the wrong kind of steroids. The guys that are speaking out don't seem to have a lane. Um, I'd like to hear what your thoughts on that are. Um, and the guys that aren't all seem like pilot fish, all like one, two percenters. Well, we just got a new person in the sort of not Trump lane with Will Hurd. And I've kind of had a soft Same. spot for him Same. for a long time. Um, when he, when I was an editor on the opinion page at USA Today, he submitted in 2017 a very good op-ed about having a cyber wall instead of an mm -hmm. actual wall that Donald Trump had promoted during his campaign. And it was a really smart column. And I thought, well, here's a reality-based right. person who seems to have a lot of kind of potential for cross-racial, cross-ethnic, cross-regional appeal. And, um, you know, I guess I thought the same when his book right. came out, Rebooting mm -hmm. America, and wrote a very nice piece, although I said I probably would never vote for him because I was, you know, too liberal, but that I thought he was a, a fine sure. candidate. And, uh, and, and, and I'm actually surprised that he's running. But I've been reading some of the commentary online and, uh, pe you know, people are talking about how boring his launch video was. And I'm like, but, you know, there may be a constituency for that in the Republican Party. Boring. I, on the other hand, I, 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 if it's out there, I want to meet it. because <laughs> I, I think boring at this point would be great. I think boring would be amazing at this point. Well, I mean, if you're if you're into the whole uh, circus-like entertainment atmosphere, the House floor lately has just been beyond belief. Well, I mean, let's talk about that for a second because you've also been an observer of Congress, and and I think we're right now the the Republicans seem to have broken the glass yesterday and broken the seal. They're going to start impeachment palooza, you know, going out trying to censure uh, or censuring Adam Schiff. Um, and they're going to go after Christopher Ray and the president and the vice president and Merrick Garland and everyone else who who has ever worked in the Democratic Party, apparently. <clears throat> it does strike me. And of course, Boebert's out today with her impeachment articles on Biden, et cetera. It does strike me that that they may – very few of them remember the lessons of 1998 and 1996 uh, of impeachments uh, against um, uh, Bill Clinton, but it's fascinating to me that they, they've really, it's a sign of how weak Kevin is, I guess, a speaker, but give me your thoughts on where the house is more broadly right now. Cause I, I view it as a, as a huge weakness for the Republicans, broadly speaking. I don't see the political logic of anything they're doing or much that they're doing. The only thing right. I saw the logic of was agreeing to not send us into default and collapse I mean, it would be remiss at this point to ignore the, I hate to say it, cat fight that broke out on the House floor, uh, which... It's a cat fight. Cat you can fight. say it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene fight over who copied who on impeachment by, of Biden resolutions and, um, you know, MTG 
doubled down on that today to Semaphore and said, yes, I called her a little bitch. She's been just awful to me. I mean, you know, is this really what people voted for? Well, we knew this was all going to happen. They made no secret of the fact that they were going to investigate, 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 impeach, impeach, impeach. I wrote about this last year. I wrote about math in Congress. If you vote for that really nice person who's Republican and is pragmatic and reality-based and makes all kinds of promises, it doesn't matter. They're going to add to the, to the Republican count and, and you're going to have yep. a majority and you're going to get you know, people calling each other a little bitch on the House floor uh, <laughs> or censuring Adam Schiff. I mean, you can like him or not, but geez. Right. I think that's right. I mean, and, and there are no normal Republicans. There are some who, who are in more moderate districts, but they all end up drinking the same poison when they get there. They all end up in that same boat, right? I mean, it, it. Kevin McCarthy's big selling point to donors is I'm a normal one, but on the other hand, it's like, and then I'm going to put Marjorie Taylor Greene in, you know, the position of enormous power over me all the time. That's not normal anymore, is it? I mean, it's it's people don't understand how deeply broken the house is. I think right now. I think that's true. I mean, you see these articles about how the moderates are rebelling and they're going to put in their demands, you know, uh, to counteract the Freedom Caucus and the, and the Magus, you know, sect and whatever. But you don't really see that kind of results from what's going on. You, you just see this kind of uh, carnival on the floor. And, you know, I, I, I listened to a little bit of Adam Schiff in his rebuttal yesterday, and I texted my whole family. My son in L.A. lives in his district. I said, they're turning him into a martyr and also probably a senator. And, uh, you know, within minutes of the whole thing going down in the afternoon, he was raising money, you know, getting texting people, sending out emails. And that's, of course, you know, right. he's right and probably a smart thing to do. But and sure. you also have uh, Adam Frisch attacking Lauren Boebert in Colorado, uh, you know, looking for his chance. He sees her trying mm -hmm. to impeach Biden and calls it, you know, sh you know, dumb and a time waster and uh I don't understand the political logic for her, but, you know, maybe that's just me. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of this performative stuff, there were always th – throughout time, there were always – like used to be like one or two members who would be like the crazy, showy weirdo. Like when I started out working in, in the first Bush administration at the dawn of time, it was like Jim Traficant was that weird guy who would go out and say crazy things or, or Dennis Kucinich – you know, uh, but now it's become this entire caucus of these people, and it seems like eighty percent of their time is spent, you know, trying to get on Fox News, trying to you know be the most outrageous for social media, trying to be the one who gets the most the most clicks rather than anything meaningful or or substantive in terms of of not just stuff for for their constituents, but anything. Well, I think that's true. And I mean, I think there's never been a, a greater disconnect between, for instance, the kind of um, presidency that Biden is trying to sell to voters and mm -hmm. and the the actual what's happening on the ground with Republicans. I mean, how do you connect people to politics? How do you make them understand that that road they're getting or, you know, that that program that's happening or that healthcare? you know, that Medicaid expansion that allows them to have a doctor and get good coverage. You know, how do you do that? It's really tough. And if people don't care and if they don't want to know, then I don't I, I, I don't think that that 
Democrats and responsible Republicans should not pursue that kind of governance. I think you see it in the Senate quite a bit. Um, I think you see the post Even office, now. the postal mm-hmm. service operating because of wonderful bipartisanship that happened last year. You know, you see right. Ukraine, ha- you know, s- surviving so far because of bipartisanship. There's been a lot that's gone on, and I don't know that anyone values it as they should. Uh, they seem very into this. What you say is the performative aspect, and I, you know, I guess sometimes I. Sometimes, I mean, when I, I read a story yesterday that made me just go out of my mind, it was kind of like the straw that mm-hmm. broke the camel's back of a week that's been steadily building towards, you know, straw. straw. Sure. It was the one about uh, Jim Jordan going after disinformation researchers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here they are. They're trying to, you know, foster the truth and, and support the facts. And, and he's going after them. And I thought, oh, my God, I've got to find some somebody who's doing something right. And um, it turned out to be, of all people, Gavin Newsom, who, you know, went, mm-hmm. and Hannity, Sean Hannity, who they had this talk and they disagreed vehemently. But, you know, there was Newsom kind of not doing the kind of performative thing that's, that's substance free, but, you know, kind of being very aggressive and dynamic and, and using numbers. And I mean, that's been, I've been working on something on that. It's making me feel slightly better, but I, I just sometimes feel like, like that, uh, you know, most of the politicians in your party, your former party have former, former, former. Have lost their grip. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you mentioned Gavin Newsom because, um, you know, I, I was speaking to a democratic donor today and he was, he, 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 He's one of these classic sort of wealthy Democrats. He's a little more fiscally driven than socially driven, but he's still a a, a liberal, not a progressive, but a liberal. And he said, you know, Gavin's a little too liberal for me, but I wish everybody could watch his performances and emulate the kind of things he's doing on Fox, willing to take on Hannity, willing to take on anybody going out and in this very structured, steady, methodical way where he doesn't come across with his hair on fire because it kind of destroys the idea that Republicans have come to love is that, oh, a Democrat who goes on Fox is going to get eviscerated. They're going to get destroyed. And the guy just had, he's he's not my politics, but he certainly is communicating at a level and showing people how to go in and fight those fights. Uh, I think that's almost unique in the Democratic Party right now. There, it is The Democratic Party is not full of amazing communicators, to put it mildly. I think there are some on the bench and some sort of sure. out of oh, position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Gretchen Whitmer could be very good in situations like this. She's very strong. I think mm-hmm. that Pete Buttigieg has done very well on uh, Fox. I'm not sure that you know being transportation secretary is the best platform to be doing it from. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he, I mean, he's got real serious governing responsibilities right now. Um, mm-hmm, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I do think the bench is okay. I, I was actually really surprised. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, uh, he seems very California, Gavin Newsom, and, you know, French laundry, uh, yes. French laundry, French laundry. But I mean, every time. <laughs> Everyone loves the French laundry, let's be real, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, every time I mention him to my husband, he goes, French laundry. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but the guy has been showing a lot of substance 
you know, I think if anyone fact-checked everything he said to Hannity, they'd find it was true or at least in the ballpark. You know, I don't think he's going out there and, and lying. I think that he's very right. well prepared. And I had no idea that he had a, a, a business background, you know, an entrepreneurial background. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch what may develop. And it, it yeah, is a tutorial. Uh, it really is. I don't know if you saw it today. There was, there was this <laughs> speculation floating around, this theory floating around that, that the White House is very happy with Gavin right now and that, and that people are starting to speculate this could be his VP tryout if, if, the, if they make a decision to change Harris out in midstream. I don't know that that would be a great political move on their part, I, but I, it certainly is interesting. I, I haven't heard that, um, and I would be shocked if they did that. I, I think, I think uh, yeah, uh, look, they are nothing if not institutional and cautious in this White House. And in the sc- scope of things, if they were going to move Harris out, it would have had to happen in the first two yeah. years. They would have she, had to move much more quickly. You know, if you followed me at all, even just one piece where I looked at her in 14, 13 different ways, I, I have had a lot of mm-hmm. Oh Yeah, I remember that. I, I remember that piece. It was nobody had, you know, everyone either hated it or liked it or both um, because I have been very confused about her. But I, I think mm-hmm. it's going to work out OK on the campaign trail if they if they do it right. I, I think it may be a non-issue eventually. I mean, there's such an infrastructure and superstructure around this whole yeah. campaign and White yeah. House and every campaign in White House. And also, I mean, what is in it for Gavin? He's got a chance to actually do something about the homelessness situation in his state before he'd be running for anything bigger and um, right. and making friends, you know, and influencing people across the country, including apparently in red states where he's uh, using his pack. He's picking these fights with people like Ron DeSantis, who, you know, is taking the bait over and over again and. I think he's done very well for himself in this in this run up. I'm one of those people. It's like I'm fascinated by Harris because I I actually like her individually, and I think she's got a weird raw talent that does not always get channeled. She's like one of these hitters who you know maybe have a has a 125 batting average, but occasionally goes out and knocks these grand slam home runs over the back wall, and you just go, wow! If she could do that every time. It would be remarkable, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to frame it enough, and and God knows what member of the mutant parade Trump is going to pull out for VP. I think that is something that uh, that uh, could help Harris a lot because Carrie if it's, Lake? you know Carrie Lake. <laughs> I mean, seriously, who's the prettiest of them all? Right, it's very important to him. Well, it's it is very important. I mean, it's like it's like I you know someone is like oh Elise Stefanik and Trump had this relationship now and she's going to be the VP. I'm like I'm sorry, Trump will never pick her. She could be great in every other aspect, and he will literally say in the worst Trumpian sexist way she's simply not hot enough for the VP. <laughs> I need someone much much more sexy and attractive for VP. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. I, and. And it's so wrong in every in every dimension, but it's absolutely what Trump will do. I'm I sorry, I was laughing at your dance. imitation of Trump, not at what you were saying. It's not very good. I admit it. No, it's it's pretty good. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I I don't know. I, I so are you still operating on the assumption that he is going to be the nominee? As of now, I mean, look, our polling every time one of these legal things happens to him. He gets a point or two back of the Republican base, 
It's crazy town. Um, and we only model likely voters. Okay, we only model actual likely voters, not hypothetical likely voters. Our modeled voter in the Republican likely voter pool is about three points more likely to support Trump this week than they were a month ago, just outside our margin. So none of the other candidates can attack him on all the legal stuff that's hitting him. So he just keeps grinding away and consolidating and consolidating and consolidating. Look, all the other candidates are in the random number noise department, one to 3%, except for DeSantis, who is at 19 now, which is kind of a come down from the 30s he was in before he announced that he was running against Trump. And his his vector seems on the way down. None of them can attack him. None of them can risk having the base be angry with them. And so we're in a spot right now where, you know, I, I think unless Trump is dead, it's really hard to get through the nominating process, especially because you get through the early states um, and maybe DeSantis can spend $100 million in Iowa with Jeff Rowe and pull out a victory. Maybe, maybe. But even then, Ted Cruz did it in 16. He won Iowa in 16 and it didn't do him a damn thing. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get on stage with Trump and he'll start tearing them apart one by one by one. And they'll either fade out, flip out, or or run out of money. The only one that's not going to run out of money is is DeSantis, and he could still run out of money. I mean, a lot of his donors now. I spoke to a Republican donor today, um, who I've known for gosh twenty plus years, who was a six figure DeSantis donor, who said, "I'm giving money to Chris Christie now. I'm done." Wow, and, was that over the, you know, over Trump or over all the policies in Florida? Uh, he 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 backing he was backing DeSantis because he. And interestingly, his very wealthy wife aesthetically don't like Trump. He's like, I love the tax cuts. I love the policies. I hated the tweeting. I hated January 6th. All this sort of like accumulation of of aesthetic anxiety is what drove a lot of those super high value donors away from Trump. They like they, they at the end of the day, they'll be perfectly fine with Trump on the ballot. They'll just nod, nod their heads and hold their noses and wire the money. Uh, and hope for another tax cut. That's that's the truth of it. That is so depressing. Uh, I know, right? It. it I mean, but, what about democracy, but, Rick? Huh? What about national security? Uh, listen, I, I, I said to this guy, I said to this guy, I said, you show me. And so a, a friend of mine says this. Uh, I, I stole this formulation from a really good friend of mine. You show me a country that is an autocracy that will allow you to live the life uh, that you've worked so hard for and to pass that down to your children without you in a constant like payoff bribe situation for political purposes, you can't. And what Trump, if Trump, I think, and this is my my dark theory of the case, if he wins again, and folks, it's not impossible. Uh, if he wins again, I think we will be entering an era basically of Putinism, the kleptocracy and the and the corruption that was sort of around the edges the last time, it'll be the center of it all. Mm-hmm. And Jill, I mean, look, like we were talking about with Adam Schiff, their abuse of power in in the House. Don't you see that as a preview of Trump's back again? I mean, I, I do. I, I think that it would be at scale. Then we would have the White House um, and and the and the 
if the Republicans hold the majority in Congress, they would be racing for the finish line for democracy, in my view. I think that's true. And I also think it would be true in a DeSantis White House, because what he's done in Florida is um, Mm -hmm. enforce his will, break all kinds of norms uh, and precedents and, um, you know, just... I, I wrote about this actually because it was I kind saw, of scary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just watching him, you know, write his own di- uh, c- congressional district map. Um, you know, his staff obviously he must have known that they were calling lobbyists to press them for contributions while the budget with his line item veto was on his desk. There's just uh-huh. uh, you know there's it, it it's there's all kinds of laws and rules for everyone except the people at the top. That's what we've been finding out, and uh, it's. It's the weirdest thing in our in our country, you know. You, if you if you work at the White House, if you're in Congress, you know, or you're a staffer in Congress, or you can't do certain things, but if you're the president, you can, and you can hold your your convention at the White House, and there's no nothing says you can't. And uh, so we have, and we haven't fixed this. I mean, you can pardon anyone you want. You right. can pardon everyone who testified against you or might testify against you. You can preemptively pardon people. It's it's just crazy. And I, I remember the piece you wrote about DeSantis won't save Republicans from something. I, I don't remember the exact title off from the top. Abuses of, of power. Remember, right, abuses of power, right. I remember reading it and thinking, this is exactly on point because there was an initial sort of flood to DeSantis about a year and a half ago by these conservative intellectuals who are like, well, he's a smart one. He's got, he's an Ivy league guy. He's not going to be a crazy abuser of power. And then in the last year in Florida, it has gone so far off the rails and so completely bonkers. I think that, that I think it even shocked a lot of his initial fans in the conservative intellectual movement who were hoping for a way to steal the Trump populist base but also get back to limited government conservatism and all that. And that was not him in the end, was it? I mean, he really sort of played them, I think. Well, the if you you know, towards the end, you know, you start counting up and adding up all of the Florida and US constitutional challenges that that he's under. I mean, he's he's being sued all the time for, you know, infringing on, on First Amendment rights and and uh you know, he's been blocked in court. He's trying to keep people from voting. He's, you know, there's just, and then the Disney, Disney mm-hmm. and its political speech, we don't like your bill. Okay, that's it. I'm penalizing you and I'm going to write in my book that I'm punishing you. And and that's protected speech. I mean, how, that's just yep. like Donald, Donald Trump saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, so it's, it's um, disturbingly parallel. Let's I, I think that's right. And I think, and I think DeSantis, just because he's not as crude and obviously clownish as Trump, I mean, I think he still presents an enormous threat to to norms and institutions and and the way that the way that governance was traditionally in America back to the founding about trade-offs and about compromises mm-hmm. and about, you know, working out a, a, a middle ground. And now it's like my way or the highway. Uh, don't do it my way, and I'll burn you down politically and threaten your livelihood and your life. Yeah. Well, the so. the other thing about that is, um, I mean, it would be remiss of me to not mention the cruelty of some of his policies and how I I believe oh, yeah. they go against American values and pluralism. Hundred percent. And uh, you know, and and just this running roughshod over colleges, you know, in particular, 
uh, new college in, in Sarasota, mm-hmm. but just basically mm-hmm. over over all of the universities and colleges in Florida, you know, you, I'm not giving you any more money for DEI. I, I'm, you know, and uh, there was a free speech case involving professors that wanted to testify about something. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. everywhere trying to control everything. This idea of banning books, um, which, you know, in, in American society, it would have been anathema a few years ago. And I think they're trying to sort of push that Overton window because they, they, they're like, well, there's two or three books we really don't like and they're terrible and they show explicit things. But all the other things that get caught in the net of that, you know, in Florida, we have books ban- book bans uh, for books about Rosa Parks and about Hank Aaron and about Anne Frank because these things get out of control. And I think that's something that, that as a country we weren't accustomed to in, until this era. Well, one of the uh, big areas that DeSantis tried to work as well and succeeded to a large extent was school board elections. I mean, who ever heard of a governor uh-huh. getting involved in school board elections, right? right. You know, he went around, <laughs> I think he, he endorsed 20-something people, and, and most of them won. And, and it yep. was all yep. for what you're talking about, you know, to try to control what the kids were reading and what the student, the, the teachers could talk about and uh yeah, I don't, I don't like this version of America, and um, I'm trying not to go to well, Florida for a while. I'm sorry. Well, I'm stuck in Florida for right now, but uh, but uh, hopefully we'll we'll see some some daylight soon. So, Jill Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us on the Enemies List today. Where can people find you on social media, and where can they find your writing? Um, my writing is mostly at the Bulwark these days. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Jill D Lawrence and on Facebook Jill Lawrence and couple of other social media. Jill D. Lawrence is my go-to ID. Thanks so okay. much for having well, me, Rick. Jill, thank you for, for coming on today. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much. So on the enemies list today, it's Kevin McCarthy, the human jellyfish, a creature not even in the Cordata family. This guy is the weakest, most pathetic, most most gruelingly, oh man, I can't say that word on the on the podcast, but I'm going to just, you know, wow. This is a guy who you, you if Kevin McCarthy ever you know, says, I've got your back, run, because there'll be a knife in it. Kevin gleefully uh, engaged in the censure of Adam Schiff for telling the truth, for telling the truth about the Republican Party, for telling the truth about Donald Trump's campaign, for telling the truth about Russian interference in the 2016 election. And Kevin decided he would throw a bone to the crazies and allow this censure vote to go forward. Well, the problem with this is, as my grandmother said, you can sit on the dock throwing that alligator fried chicken all day long, but when you run out of fried chicken, that alligator is going to come up on the dock and eat you. So now Kevin has got Lauren Boebert filing impeachment articles against the president. You've got all the other lunatics, the Andy Biggs's, Matt Gates's, Marjorie Taylor Three Toes, all of them now. They've the, Kevin doing this has unleashed hell. Now Congress is going to sink into a crazed swamp of impeachments, investigations, censure, accusations back and forth. They're going to go after the president. They're going to go after Chris Ray. They're going to go after Merrick Garland. They're going to go after Pete Buttigieg. They're going to go after Mayorkas. They're going to do this over and over and over and over again. And it's all Kevin McCarthy's fault because he is a gutless, absolutely spineless shitbird. Kevin, you are on the enemies list today. I would call you a friend, but you are not. Get your shit together. 
Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times, please rate, review, like, blah, 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 but you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends, and if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.